0: In 2015, there was this great little movie uh, called The War Room, uh, fantastic movie, and it's about a marriage that's struggling, but really it's a movie about prayer, and I got a clip from the movie that I'd like to show to you to kind of set it up. There's an older woman named Miss Clara, and uh, she gets involved with a younger woman, Elizabeth Jordan, to try to help her in her marriage, and so uh, I'm going to run the clip, and you watch it, and then we're going to talk about it. The great thing about that movie, and it's a great movie, if you've not seen it, I encourage you to watch it, uh, is that it reminds us of an aspect of prayer that we sometimes forget about. We pray before we eat our food, which is fantastic. We thank the Lord and we bless the food. We pray in our church services, in which we are invoking and asking God to be present with us. Fantastic. Fantastic. We gather together and have prayer meetings. We had one this morning before the services just to cast our cares on God and be reminded that God cares for us. Fantastic. All of those are aspects of prayer and our relationship with God, but the great thing about the movie War Room is it reminds us there's another aspect we sometimes don't talk that much about, and that is we're in a battle. We're in a battle with a real live enemy who wants to destroy Marriages, and lives, and churches, and health, and families, and friendships, and all sorts of things. And the best weapon in that fight is prayer. Now, of course, the movie War Room didn't come up with that idea. They're simply drawing on a large stream of truth that really finds its fountainhead in one of the most powerful and memorable stories in the Bible, we want to look at that story today. It's the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, didn't bring one, please, there's one in the rack in front of you. This is so important to us. We purchase Bibles and put them there because we want you to be able to follow along. In those Bibles, it's page 827. 827. 827 in the church Bibles, Mark chapter 14 in all Bibles. I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. And we're going to see a story in which the battle aspect of the spiritual life and the key weapon of prayer is at the forefront. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, Satan is not mentioned explicitly in this passage, but he's clearly present. You can feel the hints of spiritual warfare begin to happen in verse number 33. Jesus is on his way to pray because he knows he's in for a fight. And he knows prayer is what he's going to need to get through what's coming. On his way to prayer, it says he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This is the language that we find like in the Old Testament when it talks about why so downcast, O oh my soul. It's that wave of doubt or anxiety or darkness or panic It's the deception. Have you had this where you've been hit with that wave and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You're simply going along in life and all of a sudden in this passage, Satan launches his first attack and Jesus is hit with a tidal wave of emotional fear, anxiety, doubt, discouragement. He comes after him to the point in which it's described as Jesus being Deeply distressed, deeply distressed and troubled, meaning he's overwhelmed with anxiety, means he's overwhelmed with fear. Remember, Jesus is pure 100% God, but he is also totally and completely human, and his deity does not overwhelm his humanity This is fear, anxiety, depression, doubt, and discouragement at its worst. Satan overwhelms him with a flood. And look at what happens to Jesus or what his response is. How does he feel at this moment? Verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now again, Maybe it's because it's written in Bible words. It doesn't feel as impactful. Overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus is saying, I'm sinking. I'm drowning. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. Meaning, I would rather be dead than be in this right now. Do you know how that feels? When you get the news that your spouse has been unfaithful, when you receive the diagnosis of cancer, when you find out a loved one has passed away suddenly, when you hear that somebody that you care about wants nothing more to do with Jesus, and you find yourself unable to breathe, and it feels like something's sitting on your chest. <laughs> and you try to think about the future, and it's dark, it's black. You can't even imagine how you will ever get through this. You may even be overwhelmed to the point that you think, I would rather be dead than be here right now. That is how Jesus feels. Please, don't make him into a liar. That's what he's saying. He, he knows what it is to feel like that Satan is throwing everything at him and he has been hit with the full force of Satan's power so much so look what happens verse 35 going a little farther he what he fell to the ground the interesting thing about that word is it's in the Greek imperfect tense That's the tense that we normally use, or that's normally used, for things that happen repeatedly. It sort of gives the idea that he is staggering to the ground, that he has been hit wave after wave of doubt and discouragement, and literally his knees are buckling. It doesn't say that he knelt to the ground, it says that he fell to the ground. So overwhelming is this onslaught, this weight that's on his shoulders. So much is this fear, panic, anxiety, doubt, and discouragement. If you've ever had a taste of it, just know that you and I, we've only ever gotten a taste of Satan's power. But this, this is the fullness of everything Satan has to throw at him. Look, this is the fight. It's right here. There's no reason for Satan to hold anything in reserve. Jesus is going to go through a couple of trials, which are not really trials. They're going to be false accusations. He's going to go through his disciples deserting him. He's going to experience Peter denying him. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be crucified on a cross. And worst of all, he's going to experience his father, who he has known fellowship with for all of eternity. Turn his back on him because he's bearing the sins of the whole world. All that is yet to come, but this, this is the battle. This is the emotional battle. This is when the fear comes. Satan's got him in the garden and he unloads everything he's got on him. You and I, we've tasted Satan's power in pieces. Jesus absorbs the fullness of everything. This is a fight for the salvation of the universe. And as a human, it's a fight for Jesus' soul. It's at this moment, Satan's not gonna hold anything back any doubt, any deception, any fear, any panic, any anxiety, anything he has in his arsenal, Jesus is bearing full bore and he staggers to the ground. It's a battle. It's a fight. And it's overwhelming. Second thing to notice is the fact that Jesus seems to know he's going into a fight. So he brings some friends along with him to fight. Verse 33, Peter, James, and John, he takes them along with him. Now, why those three? Well, if you look back at verse 31, which is the verse right before the section I just read, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Well, that sounds like the kind of guy you want with you in a fight. Earlier in chapter 10, James and John said the same thing. We'll suffer. We're ready to suffer for you. These are the guys you want with you. And so Jesus knows he's about to enter this battle, and so he invites his friends to come with him. Plus, these three, Peter, James, and John, they were the three that went up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They were there when Moses and Elijah appeared, and when the Father in Heaven said, this is my Son, whom I am well pleased And if you remember, Moses and Elijah are having a conversation with Jesus about this event. The exodus that was going to happen. These three understand the stakes of what's going on. This is a cosmic battle for the salvation of humanity. These three were there. They get everything in the Old Testament. All of heaven and earth is focused on this moment. These are the right three for the job. They're also his friends. And who do you want in battle with you? When Satan's going to come after you, your friends. And so Jesus says to them, stay here and keep watch. That doesn't mean post a lookout. What Jesus is not wanting is to say, let me know the moment Judas arrives with the Roman soldiers. He's not interested in that. Judas is going to arrive when Judas arrives. And there's nothing that disciples on the lookout, that's not going to be helpful at all. What does he mean when he says keep watch? That's what he means in verse 38. Watch and pray. Keep watch is also a military term. It's a battle term. It shows up in 1 Peter 5 where Peter says, "Keep watch," same word, "for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour." It's a fighting term. What Jesus is asking his friends to do is seek God on his behalf. Pray for encouragement. Pray for strength. Jesus knows he's about to face the full onslaught of Satan's power. And as a human, he knows his knees are going to buckle. And so he invites his friends to join him in the fight. That's good advice for you and I. You know, sometimes we're people that we're just about the facts. I was diagnosed with cancer, we hear someone say. That's important. But you know what we really need to do? We need to open up and say, I'm scared to death. I'm worried about the future. We say, I'm headed off the couch. How do you feel about it? Oh, great. We need to say, I'm scared. I don't know where the money's going to come from. This is my first time to be away from home. Jesus opens up and says that he is overwhelmed with sorrow. He's honest to say, I wish I were dead rather than be here. And he invites his friends to come and join him in the battle. There's no reason to be stoic. When Satan comes after you, I don't care who you are. Your knees will buckle I've experienced it. And you can vow whatever you want to vow and you can have all the plans of how you're going to stand. Peter tries to do that. When he comes after you with anxiety and with fear and with doubt and discouragement and deception, when he punches you in the face, you will go down. And Jesus reminds us, look, be honest enough to say, look, I need some help. See, it's amazing to me that Jesus needed help But again, we can't forget, he's fully human. Jesus was literally not able to feed and clothe himself when he was a baby. He needed help. He was literally not able to work a full-time job and be in public ministry. And so he needed financial support during the years that we read these stories. He needed help. And going into this battle, he realizes, I could use some help point for us is is that you got to open up and you got to ask you got to share what's going on because the circumstances and the details are one thing but satan has no control over that stuff where he attacks is the fear the anxiety the doubt the discouragement and when that wave hits when it feels like you're drowning that's the time to ask some friends to pray now, unfortunately, Jesus' friends fail epically. I appreciate the fact that Jesus is gracious to him After their epic failure, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, they're humiliating. They don't even know what to say the third time. When he's like, are you sleeping again? They're too embarrassed to answer. I'd like to tell you that every time you ask a friend to pray for you, that they will pray faithfully and consistently. But I know that I don't always do that when I'm asked to pray. And I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes I say a prayer real quick so that when I tell the person I prayed for them, I'm not lying. (laughs) That's not what you need at this moment. But there are people. I've done it. Miss Clara in that movie, she represents somebody who's willing to engage in the battle and pray. That's what you need when you're going into fight. You need someone who's going to actually, earnestly seek the Lord on your behalf and keep watch and pray for you. Jesus didn't have that, although he requested it. But the fact that his friends failed him in prayer does open the door for us to see the most important aspect of this passage, the greatest power that's present in prayer. What we have in this passage is the silver bullet for when Satan attacks. It's the nuclear bomb. It's the checkmate move. It's the end game. It is the thing that always works. What is it? I'm amazed whenever I go to Israel and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm always... Overwhelmed by its location. It's outside the city walls of Jerusalem on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. When you're there, or if you see it on a map, or if you just stop and think about it for a minute, you begin to realize he's outside the walls of Jerusalem. What's laying in front of him to the east is the wilderness. He knows how to live in the wilderness, he can survive. All he has to do is go up that mountain, over the ridge, into the wilderness, and he's free. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, that represents death. That represents imprisonment. That represents all the things that he is afraid of right here. All he has to do is turn and run. And the amazing thing about it is he knows they're coming He knows they're coming, but he chooses to stay. And that's because Jesus knows something about Satan that we sometimes forget. You see, when we talk about God giving us his armor, which is another passage that helps us to understand the fact that we're in a battle, he gives us a breastplate and a shield and a helmet and a belt and a sword and shoes, and you are well-equipped for the fight. Except, there's nothing on your back. Which means if you turn and run, you're a dead duck. That's what Satan knows. If you stay and fight, you have armor. If you turn and run, he can do anything he wants to you. That's why the tidal wave of fear and doubt and anxiety, and discouragement, and deception. It is all aimed at one thing. If Satan can get you to turn and run, then he's got you. If you stay, you have protection. If you face him, there's nothing he can do. You are wearing God's armor. He cannot defeat it, but if he can get you to turn, If he can get you to run, if you say there's no way this future could possibly work, I've got to get out of here, then he's got you. And so what is that silver bullet? What is that thing that goes even before the armor? It's verse 36. What is that thing that when Satan attacks will always give you the victory? Abba, Father... He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. James 4, 7 says it this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you. Just sometimes? Sometimes always, every time. You see, the thing is, if you only understand how all this armor works and shields, and and it doesn't do any good if you turn and run. That's why this verse is logically prior to the armor. This is what Jesus is doing. You see, what you find out is when Satan comes after you full force, what you realize from this story and maybe from your own experience, what I've realized from my own experience, You're not really in a battle with Satan. You're in a battle with yourself. in your engagement with God. See, Jesus in verse 36, he takes his focus off all of his suffering and all of the attacks and all the things that are going on in Satan. And he does three things. Abba, Father. It's a term of endearment. He's reminding himself that his father loves him. In the midst of the fight, the doubts, the fears, the discouragement, I guarantee you, at the root of all of them, one of the questions will be, well, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. That is always how Satan attacks. So Jesus reminds himself that he is loved. Secondly, he reminds himself, everything is possible for you. God is not only all-loving, He is all-powerful. There is nothing coming in Jesus' future that God cannot do. Jesus acknowledges, Father, you could change this right now. Everything is possible for you. And then finally and most importantly, he reminds himself that not only is God all-loving and all-powerful, He's also all-knowing. And that His will is better than our will. You see, sometimes in the Bible, when we pray and plead with God, God relents and does what we're asking Him to do. Exodus 32, He does it for Moses. Jonah 3, He does it for the Ninevites. He does it for us all the time. Sometimes when we sit down and pray, God gives us what we're asking for. Sometimes when we sit down and pray, we get what Jesus got, which is not what he was asking for. But in either case, our will and God's will become united. Either he does what we're asking him to do, or we do what he's asking us to do. But at that moment when our wills and God's will become united, All of a sudden, we are no longer in the fight. This is what submission is. Submission is is getting on your knees and getting out of the way so that God can do the fighting for you. As long as it's your will, you're the one in the fight. And as long as you're focused on Satan or as long as you're focused on the fear or the panic or the anxiety. Listen, if you've ever had panic attacks, you can't make them go away. What will happen is you will start to panic about the panic attacks coming. It works that way with anxiety. It works that way with depression. You will be depressed thinking about the fact that you're always going to be depressed. You cannot fight Satan, and you can't fight those emotions. But once you bend your knees and you say, it's not my fight anymore. It's not my will, but yours be done. Now God enters the fight. He enters it through your will. And once you yield your will to his will, he's now in the fight. And he's never lost to Satan. This is why it has infinite power. This is why it always works. You see, when Jesus comes back, after verse 36, he still goes and prays two more times. And that's because you have to keep reminding yourself that God loves you, (laughs) that God is all-powerful, and that God's will is better than yours. It's not something we do once and forget about. Jesus does it again and again. But notice there's no fear associated with it. There's no distress. He comes back and he says, verse forty. Verse 41, sorry, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? And then do you see that word, enough? It's a strange word. We wonder, what's that doing there? Because it's actually a financial word. It's a word that means paid in full. What we think is going on is it can also mean it is done. What Jesus is announcing is the battle's over. He's still going to be denied by Peter. He's still going to go through some trials, which are going to be miserable. There'll be false witnesses. He's still going to be beaten and rejected, spit upon, mocked, crucified, and he's still going to experience the hell of being separated from his father. But he's going to do it at peace. Why? It's not his call, not my will but yours be done. The fight's already won. You see, Satan can't do anything about what's coming. He doesn't have any power over the future. He doesn't have any power over circumstances. Where his power is, fear, anxiety, discouragement, doubt. He hits Jesus with everything he's got to try to get him at the end to turn and run. And once Jesus says, but my father is all loving, he's all powerful, and if this is what he's chosen for me, I submit. What else can Satan do? What else does he have? The same is true for you and I. When you get that diagnosis, when you think about that upcoming school year, When you find out about your spouse having an affair, when you go through that financial crisis, when you're told you no longer have a job, whatever it may be, Satan is going to come after you with a wave of discouragement, doubt, anxiety, fear, deceptions, the silver bullet, the nuclear bomb, the weapon that always works, the checkmate move, the end game is simply to say, my father loves me. He can do anything he wants. I'm going to beg him to do and fix this for me. But if he doesn't, I'm going to acknowledge he knows better than I do. Once you do that, day in and day out, Satan has to flee. He has no power. And so I encourage you plead your case with God. He sometimes relents, he sometimes doesn't bring about the things that are coming. He heals, he restores, he does miraculous signs and wonders. Plead your case with him. Who knows? He might do exactly what you're asking. But the question is, if he doesn't, will you walk into the future with your all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing Heavenly Father? And will you let him lead you? What we want to do this morning we want to recognize that some of us here today are really in the heat of the battle. While we were talking, you knew exactly what I was talking about when I said that tidal wave of fear, those doubts, you feel like you're drowning, you can't breathe, Someone's sitting on your chest, Satan's coming after you. What we want to do for you is what we're saying, we want to pray. If, as you have a minute to think about it, if this is your situation and you want someone to pray for you, this is us doing what Jesus did to say to the, our church family, you know what? I'm overwhelmed with sorrow right now. I'd rather be dead than where I am right now. I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. I can't see the future. So take a few minutes to think about the situation you might be in and why the Lord might have brought you here this morning to hear this passage. If you need prayer... Stand and I'll come and pray for you. Lord Jesus, here are your brothers and sisters. They're choosing to follow your example and not run. There's a door in the back of the sanctuary and they could have already bolted. But they're here because you stayed and fought. And Lord, we as their friends have failed them. We've not prayed for them as we should. We may not have even known. They may not have told us. But Jesus, you told us that you are interceding day and night. And God, here they are asking for help. And Lord, they do have an enemy who is seeking to destroy them. He wants to destroy their marriages, their health, their reputations, their blessings in this life, their families, their friendships, and Lord, I know what it's like to be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and discouragement. Lord, the waves of depression, Jesus, no one knows this better than you, and you've invited your brothers and sisters to cry out to you for help. And so God, in the midst of their struggle, please turn their eyes to you. Please allow them, remind them you are a loving God. You have not forgotten about them. You are the Lord, their God, who takes hold of their right hand and says, do not be afraid, I will help you. When you walk through the water, even though it feels like you're drowning, you will not drown. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus, you have to speak these words to their hearts. If I say them, they're just words. Remind them that you love them. Remind them that everything is possible for you. And gently remind them, Jesus, that you know better than they do. And whatever future you have arranged for them, if there's any way for the circumstances to change, Please, God, would you change them? Everything is possible for you. Why not glorify yourself by changing these circumstances? But if not, open their eyes and let them see why your will is better than theirs. And then, Jesus, I'm asking you to do what you swore you would do if we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil he will flee. And so Jesus, as their will is united with your will, make Satan leave them alone. In the name of Jesus, I ask, give them peace. Lord God, walk with them through the future you have for them. Be near to them in a powerful way. You will not abandon them to the grave. Jesus, you were abandoned so that they don't have to be. You are a compassionate and gracious God. You know exactly how they feel. Draw near to them at this time and win the battle for them. We ask this in your name. Amen.